Uh, if you would turn with me in a Bible to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, so we've been going through the book of Exodus, which is the second book in the Bible. If you open to Genesis, that's the first book, and Exodus is the next one. And uh, we've looked at the story of how God brought the people of Israel from bondage uh, under Pharaoh in Egypt to a place of freedom and belonging to God. And in the middle of the book of Exodus is one of the uh, more well-known chapters of the Bible, uh, this chapter that we're looking at, which has the Ten Commandments. Uh, most people have at least heard that phrase, the Ten Commandments. And we're looking at each of these Ten Commandments one by one uh, every week. And we're at number four, uh, which is chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. So uh, let's look at this fourth commandment uh, that God gave to the people of Israel, and we'll consider uh, what it has to say to us. So here you go. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 8, says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In 2003, I graduated from college and I began working as a campus minister with a group called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It was my first full-time job. Uh, not just a summer job, not just a part-time thing, not just being a camp counselor for a couple weeks, but a permanent position. Uh, and I was excited about it. I wasn't, felt like, finally, I'm not just studying and preparing for something that's going to happen someday in the future. I can actually do something. That'll hopefully benefit other people in the world. Uh, so I was working at two colleges in South Central Connecticut. I was leading Bible studies and prayer meetings, helping Christian students grow in their faith. We organized lectures and discussions to engage people who were more skeptical and address their questions, mentoring and training student leaders, uh, identifying Christian faculty members and trying to get them involved in one way or another, organizing retreats and missions trips, cooking food and buying snacks. That always helps if you're working with college students. Uh, and coordinating with other InterVarsity staff in Connecticut and throughout New England. My work felt meaningful, challenging, stimulating, and rewarding. I was motivated to work, and there was plenty to do, even though I didn't have a set schedule. So for the first two weeks, I worked 70 or 80 hours each week. I took no days off. I organized one freshman outreach event after another, visited student after student who had signed up for our group in their dorms, met with student leaders to plan and pray, got Bible studies off the ground, and after just two weeks, I felt exhausted. It didn't take too long for me to realize that if I were to continue in this line of work over the long haul, I needed a different rhythm. I couldn't just keep on striving, keep on pushing, keep on filling up my schedule with one thing after another in order to thrive or maybe in order to survive, I needed to find a rhythm of work and rest. And so suddenly this commandment that we just read became very relevant to me in a whole new way. That was 20 years ago. Looking back on the last 20 years, eight of which I spent working for InterVarsity and 12 of which I've uh, been a pastor uh, in a church, uh, this one and one other before that, I can say this. 
If this commandment were not in the Bible, I probably would not be your pastor or anyone's pastor today. You might say, why? Well, if this commandment were not in the Bible, here's what I would have often felt. This work that I'm doing is so important, how can I justify stopping? How can I justify taking a whole day off every week? I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm full of energy. Why should I slow down? After all, this is about extending the kingdom of God and leading people to faith in Jesus. What else in the world could be more important? Now, if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm naturally a type A personality. I want to see things happen. I want to get things done. I want to move things forward. I'm also, which you might or might not have realized, I'm also naturally a people pleaser. There is a part of me that wants to say yes to every single request that comes my way. And the reason is, because I like it when people are happy with me and I don't like the feeling of knowing that someone disapproves of something I've decided. So add all those things together. The gift of a meaningful job, perhaps an overinflated sense of my importance, my own importance in that job, a type A personality, the desire to please everyone. That is a recipe for overwork, leading to exhaustion, burnout, being demanding of others and taking them for granted, self-centeredness, harshness, anger, and resentment. Apart from the grace of God, if I had just followed my own natural inclinations, that's the kind of person I would have become. The reason I know that is I've fallen into every one of those things at one time or another. But one of the things that God has used in my life to preserve me from getting totally stuck in those places and to lift me out of those unhealthy places when I have landed there is the commandment we're looking at this morning and the principle related to it. Now, Christians don't all agree on how exactly this command should be practiced. I certainly don't claim to practice it perfectly, but I would say this. I'm still a pastor today, and I'm still a joyful follower of Jesus today, in part because of this commandment and God's, how it's a, a, a means of God's grace. Now, your personality, your natural inclinations might be different than mine. I know we're not all type A's. That's probably a good thing. Your daily routine and responsibilities are probably different than mine. But as we look at this commandment today, my hope and prayer is that you would also see it as a gift that you desperately need and as a provision that God has given to you for all of us for our good. Now, as we've done with each of the Ten Commandments so far, we're going to look at this commandment under four headings. First, how it's a manual that shows us God's good design, right? He made us. He wrote the manual on how we're supposed to work well, right? Second, how it's a mirror that reveals our sin and the ways we fall short of that good design. Third, how it's a window that shows us our Savior, Jesus. And fourth, how it's a guide uh, that shows us God's path. By the time we go through all 10 of the commandments, I hope you'll have that outline memorized because anytime you read a command in the Bible, you can dig deeper into it by thinking of it under those four headings. It's really thinking of it in terms of the whole story of the Bible. God made us, we fall into sin, Jesus came to rescue us, and now 
here's what it means to follow Jesus. That's the story of the Bible, so that's why we're looking at the commandments, and I just found four images that work. Manual, mirror, window, guide. Uh, but I hope that that's a helpful way for you to think about all the different commands in the Bible. So here we go, question number one. How is this command manual that shows us God's good design? If you time traveled back in time to the ancient world when this command was first given and you did a poll and you said, who has ever heard of having one day off for everyone in the entire society every week, every seven days? Guess what answer you would get? Zero percent. No one else in the ancient world, uh, no other ancient law code contains this provision, no other ancient society was organized around a weekly rhythm of six days of work and one day of rest. Now every society had holidays, seasons, most recognized the months of the year because they correspond basically to the cycles of the moon, a full moon happens about once every month. Um, but this idea of a seven day week with one day of rest was completely new when uh, Moses gave this law, to, when, when, when God gave this law to the people. Uh, think about the units of time that organize our lives, right? Days, months, and years are all rooted in the natural order of things, the cycles of the sun and moon, right? A day is sunrises, sunsets, right? A month is the moon, basically, especially if you're on a lunar calendar, it's basically every time there's a full moon. That's a month. The year is once that the earth goes around the sun, which also produces the seasons. But what's a week? There's no rhythm in nature of seven days. Why is a week seven days rather than eight or ten days? There's no reason in how the sun and moon and stars orbit or uh, travel around the earth. There's nothing that gives you a week. So this commandment was unheard of in the ancient world. It wasn't something you would naturally come up with by just observing the natural patterns of uh, astronomical patterns. So where did the people of Israel get this idea? Well, according to the Bible, it was a gift from God. One Jewish commentator put it this way, the Sabbath shows us that God is entirely outside of and sovereign over nature because he establishes a pattern for his people that is not rooted in the cycles of the sun and the moon around the earth. Or the earth going around. Anyway, the earth goes around the sun, not vice versa, I understand. Don't worry, I'm not a flat earther, don't think that. Um, moving on, that was a total digression. How does this pattern... Right? This unheard of pattern in the ancient world reflect God's good design for his people. Three ways. Uh, first, the Sabbath is an invitation to enjoy God's creation along with him. Look at verse 11. The rationale given for the command here is, uh, looks back to the creation story. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. So Genesis 1 tells the story of creation using the framework of six days of activity, followed by one day of rest, Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 says, On the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. It's as if God sat down on his throne, looked at the universe that he had made, and said, Isn't it beautiful? Right? Like an artist who finishes her work of art and sits back and says, Ah, oh, that's satisfying. 
to feel like I'm done. It's complete. Uh, and God invites us to share in his rest, to share in his delight in the world that he has made. Now, again, this was not a common idea in the ancient world. So if you read, there in, you can find uh, the ancient Babylonian story of creation. It's called Enuma Elish. And in that story, the gods create human beings to be their slaves and do their dirty work. So here's what one of the gods in the Babylonian story says. I will establish a savage, man shall be his name. He shall be charged with the service of the gods that they, that the gods, might be at ease. So the Babylonian idea is people are supposed to do work, namely making all these sacrifices to the gods, so that the gods can sit back and relax. Do you see how different that idea is from the biblical idea of God? The biblical idea of God is that God, has, God doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need us to do his dirty work. He has everything he needs. He's completely sufficient. And so God sits back and enjoys looking at the world that he has made and delights in his creation, and he says, let me invite you, human beings, my image bearers, to join me in that rest and that delight. This was a completely new idea in the ancient world, uh, that God would be so generous as to invite us to share in his rest. So the Sabbath is an invitation to enjoy God's creation along with him. It also demonstrates God's care for the most vulnerable people in society. Look at verse 10. On the Sabbath day, it doesn't just say you should not, shall not do any work. It says you, your son, your daughter, that is your whole family, your blood relatives, then your male servant or your female servant, that is your household workers, then your livestock, your animals, then the sojourner who is within your gate. So you couldn't get someone who was outside your household and make them do your work on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was for absolutely everyone, absolutely everyone, male and female, young and old, rich and poor, native born and immigrant, every single person in Israelite society got one full day off. No one would be required to work, obviously except for emergencies to preserve life and things of that sort. No other ancient society had such a provision. A lot of ancient societies had holidays that basically meant if you were well off, you could kick back and relax, but if you were a slave, you really had no say in the matter and you had no right to a day off. But in Israel, it was different. Everyone had the right to a full day of rest every week. And that leads us to the third point. The Sabbath was a reminder of what God had saved his people from. When the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, they didn't have regular days off. They lived under brutal taskmasters who were constantly demanding more and more of them. They never got a break. And God wanted the Israelites to remember, remember, that's what I've saved you from. Don't live that, you don't have to live that way anymore. Because I'm not that kind of master who oppresses you and constantly demands more of you and is never satisfied and just wants to work you into the ground. No, I'm not that kind of Lord. I'm a different kind of Lord and master. In fact, turn for a moment uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. 
It's three books ahead of Exodus in the Bible. Deuteronomy 5 is the other place in the Bible where the Ten Commandments are listed in full. And for the most part, they're exactly the same as they are here in Exodus. But if you compare the Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15 with Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, the rationale for the fourth commandment is actually a little different. So Exodus says, remember the reason is, remember the Sabbath because of the pattern God established in creation. God worked, uh, God made the world in, in six days and rested on the seventh, right? There's that uh, pattern there. And so we're invited to enjoy God's rest. But Deuteronomy 5, verse 15, gives an additional reason. It says, remember the Sabbath because you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath was a reminder, that's what God saved you from, a life of unending oppression and constant work where work defined you and where, you, where there was never an end to it. And how did God save his people from bondage in Egypt? Did God go to the Israelites and say, okay, I'm gonna give you a trial period, 90 day trial period. Will you work, will you be a good employee or not? If you work well for me for 90 days, then I'll take you. No, right, God came and rescued the Israelites, not by their own efforts, not because of their own performance, but by God's intervention and by God's grace and by God's power working on their behalf. And so the Sabbath was a weekly reminder. This is what I've saved you from, and I've saved you purely by grace. I haven't saved you because of any work you've done. So on the, on the one day every week where you have to stop all your work, you're just supposed to delight in the fact that I've saved you by grace. So the Sabbath reflects God's good design in all those ways. It invites us to enjoy God's creation. It provides protection for vulnerable people in society and it reminds us what God has saved us from. But that leads us to the next point. How is this command a mirror that shows us our sin, where we fall short? Uh, I think there are two basic ways that we can fall short of this, uh, the good design God lays out for us in this command. On the one hand, we can fall short by not working diligently. Did you notice in verse 9, before it talks about rest, it says, six days you shall work. In the ancient world, that meant you need to plant your seed, you need to plow the field, harvest the crop, weed and cultivate the garden. You can't just sit around and do nothing all day every day and expect food to magically appear on your table. What does that mean for us today? It, mean, it means we need to do the work that has been assigned to us, whether or not we get paid for it. This is not just talking about paid employment. It's talking about all the work that's necessary for our human lives to work well. So if you're a kid living at home with your parents, this would mean do your homework and do your chores. Don't expect mom or dad to do everything for you. The reason your parents give you chores is so that one day when you get older and you graduate from high school or, may, or you graduate from college, whenever it is that you start living on your own, that you have some idea of how to manage your life, how to cook food, how to clean up after yourself, how to manage a, an apartment, how to fix things when they break, how to take care of a yard and so on. If you're retired, this would mean 
Use whatever time and energy and abilities you have to help others and honor God. You might not be doing what you formerly did in your career, but the Bible says God has prepared good works in advance for every one of his children to do. And there's no age limit to that, right? It might look different as we get older. It might be praying for people, calling people. It might be caring for someone at home. It might be all kinds of things. It might be volunteering. But use whatever time and energy and abilities you have to help others and honor God. If you're between jobs, that's a hard place to be, right? If you're unemployed or underemployed, your main work might be looking for jobs, filling out applications, pursuing some kind of training, or taking side gigs. Now, I know that season can, be, can feel discouraging and burdensome, especially if it lasts a long time. If you know someone who's in between jobs, encourage them. Ask them how it's going. Ask them how you can pray for them. Right? We all need some encouragement. And if you have a regular day job, here's what Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. Don't just do your job when other people are looking, but do your job to please God. If you're a student in school, that would, same, same principle applies. Now, how might we fall short of this command to work diligently? Well, how about laziness and procrastination? Doing the easy tasks and postponing or avoiding the hard ones. Proverbs 24, 27 says, prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. Now, the principle there is do first things first. And in the ancient world, that means plant your field so that your crops can start growing so that when it's harvest time, you'll have something to eat. And then worry about making your house comfortable. If you've got to live in a tent for a little while, you know, you might be uncomfortable for a little while, but at least you'll be able to eat in the end. A lot of times we get ourselves in trouble because we prioritize short-term comfort over long-term growth and development. Right? So... Laziness and procrastination is one way we can fall short. How about idleness and idle chatter? The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians 3, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. In other words, meddlers, gossips, chatterers. Instead of solving problems, these people create new ones. Paul goes on, Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. In other words, Paul is saying, don't keep making trouble. Find something good to do that you can put your energy and time towards. But this command isn't just about working diligently. It's also about resting periodically. How might we neglect or ignore God's command to rest? Well, how about being always on, having no regular rhythm of rest in our lives at all? I mean, do we always need to have our phone on 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Can we put it down, turn it off, put it on silent every so often? How about always saying yes to every request that comes our way without acknowledging our own creaturely limitations? One book that I read a long time ago that was helpful to me in this respect said, had this quote in it, your no's give value to your yeses. 
You can't say yes to everything. Your no's give value to your yeses. If you have some kind of Sabbath rhythm, some kind of rhythm of rest in your life, I guarantee you, you will have to say no to some things in order to maintain that. Or how about this? Taking a day off to relax for ourselves, but not worshiping God. The purpose of the Sabbath was not just to give people a break from their work. Verse 7 says the seventh day is a Sabbath, that is a rest day, to the Lord your God. Right? The idea of keeping it holy, holy just means set apart for God and God's purposes. Right? So if, all our, if, if we only have days for, for that thing that are, that are on, if our only goal is to think about how do I maximize my own relaxation, we're missing part of the point of the Sabbath. Or how about this, finding our identity and ultimate value in our performance and our accomplishments. That's an easy one to fall into. Or believing that our status before God is secured by our good works and our human efforts instead of by God's grace alone. There's lots of ways we can fall short of this command. By not working diligently or not resting periodically. But that leads us to the next point. How is this a command, a window that points us to Jesus? Well, the New Testament shows us that Jesus embodied all that the Sabbath represented. Now, we read a story earlier about how Jesus uh, defended his disciples when the Pharisees were accusing them of breaking the Sabbath because they were just getting a snack, right? Sort of uh, eating some grain as they were walking through the fields. But did you notice what Jesus said just before that story about the Sabbath? He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, if you come to me, and if you rely on the work that I will do on your behalf, you will find the true rest for your souls. You'll find everything that the Sabbath was pointing forward to all along. In John 6, 6 28, some people come to Jesus and they say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What is it that God wants us to do? And Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Throughout the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a weekly invitation to completely stop our own work and turn our attention to God and what he has done on our behalf, how he's created us and how he's saved us. And Jesus says, that's the point. In order to have a right relationship with God, you don't just need to work a little harder, try a little harder, be a little better. You need to look to Jesus and see that he's accomplished what you can't. He's done all the work necessary to make you right with God. You just need to accept that and in doing so find the true rest for your soul. You know, there are three times in the Bible when God says, it is finished. It's complete. It's enough. One of those times is in the beginning of the Bible, excuse me, at the end of the story of creation, which we read earlier, where it says God finished the work of creating that he had done. The second time is at the end of the Bible, when God, when Jesus returns and makes all things new. Revelation 21, 6, he says, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. But the third time that God says it is finished is right in the middle of the Bible. When Jesus is hanging on the cross and about to die. And what are his last words? 
John 19, verse 30 says, he was hanging on the cross and he said, it is finished. Jesus accomplished on our behalf what we could not accomplish for ourselves. And therefore, he invites us to come to him and find rest for our souls. Romans 5 says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's something better than you can get by taking a day off, even by taking a day off every single week. It's rest for your souls that goes, that, that will last eternally. It's rest that you can experience every day of your life, knowing that you're at peace with God because of what Jesus has done. Fourth and finally, how is this command a guide that shows us God's path? Now, as I said earlier, Christians don't completely agree on how we should practice the Sabbath, and this has been true not just now, but throughout church history since the early church. And the reason for this is, on the one hand, it's one of the Old Testament ceremonial laws, and in that respect, it points to Jesus and is fulfilled in him. Remember how we talked about ceremonial laws in the Old Testament are like scaffolding on the side of a building. While the building's being built, it's essential. Once the building's done, scaffolding can go away. So, in one sense, the Sabbath is like that. It was preparing the people to find the spiritual rest that Jesus ultimately came to provide. Uh, and so, because of that, we're not rigidly bound to observe every Sabbath law in the way the Old Testament prescribes. Uh, the Apostle Paul said this in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Uh, he was writing to Christians, and he said, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you, with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are, the sh are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And in Romans 14, 5 and 6, Paul says this, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So in one sense, Paul's understanding of how Christians should observe the Sabbath seems actually sort of loose and flexible from those verses, right? Uh, here's what it might have looked like in the early church. In the early church, there were Jewish followers of Jesus who, for the most part, continued to observe the Sabbath from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, just as they, they and their ancestors had done for thousands of years. There were also Gentile followers of Jesus who were joining the church, but many of them would have had to work on Sundays because Sunday was not a day of rest in the ancient Roman Empire. Until 321 AD, the first 300 years of Christianity, Sunday was normally a work day. And many of the early Christians, uh, at least a, some number of them, were slaves who, uh, and other people who had no control over their work schedule. Right? They couldn't just say, oh, I have to take all day Sunday off. Well, they didn't have that choice. So here's what the early church did. They often met really early in the morning on Sunday or at dinner time after people were done with work. And that's when they had their weekly worship services. So they prioritized gathering together to worship God even though they didn't all share a common day of rest. Now over time, Christianity became more influential and uh, Sunday became a common day of rest in the Roman Empire and some other places throughout the world. And in many ways, that was a good thing because everybody could enjoy that day off. 
Uh, but I think the example of the early church is good to remember because more and more we are living in a society that does not really recognize any day of rest. Right? It's not just retail and restaurants, it's even the postal service. If you apply for a job with them, you've got to be available on Sunday because Amazon wants their packages delivered. Right? And so we sometimes might need to think, how do we be intentional to carve out space for rest and worship in our lives? It's not always going to be easy. We will have to be intentional about it, just like the early Christians were. And we might practice it in slightly different ways, and that's okay. Again, like the early Christians did. So there's some flexibility, I think, in how we live out this command. On the other hand, we should not just say, oh, well, since Jesus came, we don't have to worry about this command anymore, so we can work anytime we want. The Sabbath principle is found in the creation story, not just in the Old Testament ceremonial law. And Jesus said in Mark, uh, Mark 2.27, the Sabbath was made for human beings. In other words, a day of rest is a gift from God for our benefit. And we neglect it to our detriment. One person wrote this, if you do not keep the Sabbath, God will keep it for you. If we refuse to stop striving, God himself will stop us through a crisis, a health issue, an emergency, or anything that gets our attention. And if that is where we find ourselves, burned out, exhausted, having stress-related health problems, it's an invitation to do what the Sabbath has invited us to do all along, to stop trying to be God, to look up to God and acknowledge our dependence on him, that he's God and we're not, and that we can stop our striving periodically to recognize that, and that he's a generous provider and we can enjoy his good gifts. So let me end very practically. Maybe you have a Sabbath rhythm in your life, but maybe you don't. Maybe you're thinking, okay, this is, a this is sort of a new idea that I have not really considered and I do not really intentionally practice in many ways right now. What would it look like to build, to carve out a Sabbath rhythm in your life, in your weekly schedule? Uh, so let me tell you some of what has been helpful to me. I'm not saying this because you should do exactly what I do, uh, but I, I want to give you a concrete example. And it's helped me, again, preserve me from a lot of those bad outcomes I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, for me, Sunday is a great day, but Sunday is a busy day. So Sunday does not actually, uh, is not actually my day of rest, right? <laughs> it's a very exciting day. I love Sundays. It's my favorite day of the week, really. But I really couldn't honestly count it my day of rest. I'm often ready to crash at some point in the afternoon or evening. So I normally take Monday as my Sabbath. Uh, so what do I do? So after our kids go off to school, I go to a coffee shop, I bring my Bible and my journal. And I usually spend an hour reading and writing out prayers in my journal, often sort of reflecting over the last week, thanking God for things, writing out things I'm perplexed about, and trying to process and work through. Then I go take a run. 
Uh, running helps me get out into nature. It gives me some exercise. It helps clear my head. It's a way that I can enjoy God's creation. Then I usually have lunch with my wife, sometimes at home, sometimes we go out. We spend an hour or two together in the middle of the day. Then I usually take a short nap, not a long nap because then I can't sleep that night, but I usually take a short nap or read a book until our kids come home from school. Then I usually try to focus on spending the rest of the day with my kids and enjoying the time with them. Sometimes we'll play outside, sometimes we'll cook a special dinner or dessert. Uh, some things I don't do, I don't check email on Mondays normally, I don't write sermons or do other routine work. If you call or text me, I will see it, and if, it seem, if it's an emergency, I will, I will respond to emergencies. So I think that's appropriate. Uh, we shouldn't be sort of inflexible and not respond to emergencies. Uh, but I'll generally avoid scheduling meetings on that day, except for emergencies and unusual circumstances. Um, what's the point of all these things? All these things for me help me remember that my primary identity is not in being a pastor. My primary identity is being God's creature and being God's child. And taking a Sabbath is a way for me to remember that and to live out of that identity. And have because that's the identity where we find our security, right? Because in all of our jobs or in whatever work you're doing, sometimes we feel like we're doing well and things are going well and sometimes we feel like it's not going that well or, you know, it's, or we're worried about it. So we have to find our identity in who we are as God's creatures who he invites us to share in his rest and as God's children. So what might this look like for you? Let me challenge you. Choose a day or a 24-hour period. Maybe it's Sunday. Maybe it's from Saturday dinner to Sunday dinner. Then later Sunday night, you sort of get ready for the rest of the week. Uh, think about three words to set apart your time. Pause pray and play. So first, pause. What should I stop and take a break from? Maybe that's your regular work. Maybe that also includes social media or email. Maybe take, an, maybe, maybe take a nap. If you need a nap, catch up on sleep. There's always more work to be done. Sometimes we need to just leave all that is unfinished in God's hands for one day and be okay with that. So pause, pray. How do I connect with God? seek to renew and rebuild and strengthen my relationship with God. I mean, that's why it's great if Sunday is your Sabbath, right? Or if it includes Sunday morning, right? This is a perfect thing to be doing during your day of rest, to come together and worship the Lord. Uh, or play. Third question is play. How do I enjoy God and his creation? Maybe you take a leisurely walk. Maybe you take a long bike ride. Maybe you play a game with your kids. Maybe you call up an old friend. Maybe you enjoy a special meal, or maybe you have leftovers on paper plates so you don't have to cook anything and you don't have to clean anything. Either of those could be a great way to have a Sabbath rhythm in your life. As I said, it won't happen automatically because our society is not built around this rhythm, or less and less it is the case. So whatever you do, you will need to be intentional, but it's a good gift. And it's a foretaste of the ultimate rest and joy and peace that we'll enjoy forever when Jesus returns. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this commandment 
about work and rest. We pray that we would take to heart what you have for us from it. We pray that you would help us to delight in the work that you've given us to do and to be diligent about it in the time that you give us and that you would also help us to learn how to rest and to enjoy you and to praise you for all that you've done for us and all that you've given to us by your grace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.